Cherishing Scriptures podcast, a podcast inspired to changing society by cherishing scriptures. My name is Jeremy, and I'm back with Zach, Pastor Bailey, Nathan, and a guest today, Cody. And uh, we're going to finish up James chapter 2. So, uh, or do we want to give a little um, recap on what we've done so far? Well, uh, last week we talked about respecting persons and uh, how that correlates with uh, dead faith and how uh, just one step farther you can uh, fall into sins and uh, you can be become someone who is operating not in the power of Christ but operating in the power of themselves. That's exactly right. Great discussion last week. Yeah, it was a really good discussion. So, and uh, I'm really excited for this this next portion here because this is one of the most easiest confused uh, a lot of people take what's coming out of, out of context, uh, talking about faith and works, and that people think that works is what saves you, but there's several times throughout the Bible where uh, it's not not that way. It's faith alone. So I'm kind of excited to um, see what, if we can clarify anything for anybody out there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So you want to start out with uh, reading the passage this time? It's pretty short. Sure. Yeah, if you want to read it. Uh, James chapter 2 verse number 14 starting out what doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not work can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart in peace be warmed and filled notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body what doth it profit even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone yea a man may say Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with, work, with his works, and by works was made was faith made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which saith abraham believed god and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of god ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only likewise also was not rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also Great passage. Yeah. Excellent passage. You're right, though. There's a lot of confusion. Yeah. For sure. A lot sure. of debate, a lot of confusion. And uh, like I said, I did uh, quite a bit. I wish I wrote down the number of verses I found where, you know, you know, it clarifies that, you know, works doesn't save you, but faith do, or faith does. But uh, what I see in here, I think, is uh, throughout this, he's talking, he says, my brethren, my brethren. So uh, one thing we you know, definitely can start by saying, I think he's talking to the saved, yes. not to uh, the lost. Mm -hmm. You know, us working can't, um, can't save. And I think that's why it leads to this first question we've got here. Why can faith alone in Jesus save? I think very simply it's because if we tried to save ourselves, we would fail miserably. Uh, earlier in the chapter, we discussed it last week. Even if you do one tiny little sin, that makes you a transgressor of the whole law. And then 
that being done already, you cannot save yourself after you've committed one sin. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's very powerful words here in James chapter two, that destroys a lot of the the Catholic beliefs, Jehovah's Witness beliefs, pretty much every other religion on the face of, of the earth. It destroys their beliefs because they are trying to make it up to God, but. Christianity, genuine, orthodox, Bible Christianity is the only relationship, religion, that has God coming down to man, being the sacrifice for sins. Yep. Him saving us, not us saving ourselves. Yep. Uh, I was actually speaking with someone uh, this past week about that. And I said, uh, one thing about all faiths that you'll notice is all faiths is about uh, humanism at its core. It's all about the betterment of man. I can't remember the... Uh, religion or whatever you want to call it, but the one where it believes that you are regenerated, regenerated, and regenerated until you get to a point to where you've reached the epitome and then you're acceptable enough to go into the afterlife, uh, but until then you're regenerated uh, as a cow and as a person and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, every uh, religion, uh, world religion, is all about the betterment of man. It is the believing that man uh, can get better, and I think it almost goes back to what uh, Pastor Ray that preached about this morning, uh, what we have to understand about man is that it's not uh, anything that man does, uh, but rather it's where he's at positionally, uh, whether he's lost or whether he's saved. It's two completely different positions. Uh, it has nothing to do with the man. The man is uh, still a sinner, but he's clothed in Jesus' righteousness, whereas he's not just a sinner that's going to be judged by his flesh. Yeah, and I would add that... Uh Excuse me. The um, you know one of the greatest quotes I think one of the most memorable and one of the greatest quotes I think I've ever heard. Doctor Adrian Rogers, uh, great soldier of the faith from years gone past, and uh, probably a champion of the Southern Baptist Convention. He probably spared the Southern Baptist Convention a lot of heartache when he became the president. He uh, he wanted to steer them back to you know biblical fidelity, and the discussion about faith and works came up. And Doctor Rogers made the statement. He said. Uh, Faith alone can save, but the faith that saves is never alone. Wow. And that statement in and of itself pretty well encapsulates just about the whole discussion here. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I've discovered, you know, in my study of the book of James, I preached the book of James years ago, and, and my verse-by-verse -verse study through it, um, there's a lot of commentators and writers and authors who want to put James and Paul at odds in the book of James, they want to try to insinuate that um, that the, Apoll, the Apostle Paul's statements over and over and over, you know, it's not of works, lest any man should boast, you know, we're here. But, but then in the next verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, followed by verse 10, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created unto good works. Amen. And so the absence of works in James' estimation, um, the absence of works is a deal breaker uh, but the apostle paul spoke of uh, the presence of works being a deal breaker and that uh, statement by the both of them uh, subsequent writers have tried to insinuate that they were at odds and in disagreement and I, I don't think that's the case i don't think that's the case at all i think um, uh, i think what james was doing was he was writing to clarify the fact that number one, he and Paul were in agreement on this doctrine, but there were others who were attempting to put 
James and Paul at odds with each other, and James is writing to them to let them know uh, this is not a conflict between Paul and I. This is a uh, this is something that we believe identically on. The terminology is the same. The the emphasis is the same. Uh, of course, the inspiration from the Holy Spirit is the same on both authors. And so uh, we have no problem with uh, with any kind of a conflict going on between the Apostle Paul and James. Um, uh, I, I don't think that's the issue uh, that is in discussion here. Uh, so, uh, and I think it's illustrated really by, if you look at verse number five, he gives this really early illustration. If a brother uh, be naked and destitute of daily food, and one say unto them, depart in peace, that's the faith. I have faith, you can be at peace. Be ye warmed and filled, that's faith. Notwithstanding, uh, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, that's the works. So you can say something to them about faith, but James is insinuating here that in that case, faith is dead being alone. They're still naked, they're still hungry, they're still needy. Right. right. So there has right. to be works, a contribution on your part uh, to prove or to fortify or strengthen your argument of faith. And he goes on and makes other illustrations here about Rahab the Harlan and Abraham and so on and so forth. But it's all the same message. Faith alone can save, but the faith that saves is never alone. Wow. That, uh, you know, this is not really on the list, but I kind of want to see, you know, maybe if you can answer anybody else, why do people get this passage so confused? Why do people think you have to work your way to heaven when, when we know that there's a bought and paid price? Because, in my opinion, it's very simple because man can't accept that there's nothing that he can do. Man loves to be exactly. in control naturally. The, the, exactly. the thought that there's absolutely nothing I can do, no matter what I do, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans, is hard for man to accept. Right. Whereas they can simply accept that God knew that you would never be enough. He sent a son to die for you. And you have to accept him and believe on him. I absolutely. think it's that just the, the disconnect and the difficulty that uh, naturally man uh, always is trying to find a way, especially men, uh, not just mankind, but men in specific are always trying to find a way. They can't, they can't accept sometimes when they can't figure out a way to work something out. Right. Right? Uh, typically you have men are the ones that are the hardest ones to take something from someone else because they don't like that idea of getting handouts, stuff of that nature. And it's the same thing with this, I believe, is that man can't accept that Okay, there's nothing I can do except purely believe and accept. Uh, and I, they believe that, okay, I have to work. I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to earn this salvation. Uh, when simply it's just not true. Yeah, no. And the, the man, man has an addiction to works. 90%, I, I would estimate here that about 90% of the world's religions and denominations are a works-based religion or denomination. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you either have to work to get saved or you have to work to stay saved. Right. And the reason why is because there's nothing that brings gratification to the flesh in grace, faith, salvation. It's not of works that any man should boast. So there's nothing that gratifies or exalts the flesh in grace, faith, salvation. So in order to supplement that, man-made religions have added works systematically to grace, faith, salvation so that they can say that they've played some role or have some evidence that they've been saved. And uh, it just is not supported in Scripture. There's no, uh, there's no evidence in Scripture that it will hold water. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the key part of that, lest any man should boast. I mean, could you imagine the, the chaos it would be if it was when everyone got to heaven and they were like, well, this is what I did. 
Yeah. Uh, look what I did, right? Take uh, the Lord. Look at what I did. Yeah, look at everything the I did. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's no longer about Jesus Christ and God's love. It's about oh, look what I did right. to get here. Oh, Nathan, what'd you do to get to heaven? Well, you know, I donated a million dollars to a charity. Wow, you're you're a yeah. great guy. Right? <laughs> it, it's like it, it's, it's a it's constant. like a a consumerism. Mm. You know, this is what I bought. This is what my money got me. And it's almost the same thing here, except the currency here is, is worse. You know, this is what I did. This is the price that I paid. And this is the heaven that I gained as a result of, of my generosity or my work or my faithfulness or anything of that nature. And it eliminates Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, if it's faith, then it is no more works. And if it's works, then it's no more faith, insinuating that the two of them are, are um, mutually exclusive. They cannot uh, be in agreement together. Uh, but what Paul was saying there is you cannot, in, in soteriology or the study of salvation, you can't trust both faith and works. And that's exactly what James is saying as well. It's the faith that saves, but works are the evidence of salvation. I don't work to get saved. I work because I am saved. Yeah, and something else we call it nowadays, we call it fruit, right? Yes. So fruit. And we say, well, this person claims to be for, uh, to be saved. Okay, well, what's the fruit they're bearing? Right. Uh, and not necessarily saying what works have they done to prove their salvation, but rather like, there should okay, there should be some evidence, right? This person gets saved, and now they have a desire to read God's word. They have a desire to pray. Uh, they got saved. Now they have a desire to go out soul winning. Uh, they used to come to service once a month, but now that they got saved, they're coming all the time. Not that that's making them any better. They're not any more saved than they were when they got saved, but it's evidence. Yeah. It's proof, uh, you know, proof in the pudding, as they would say. It's showing, like, all right, this person saved, you know, I can, I can tell you that I can see a change in them. I can see a change in that person since Jesus came into their life. Right. Y'all really hit the, the nail on the head. I mean, y'all talked about, you know, going back, you, you try and focus on the faith of the works, the other one goes out the window. Um, going back to what you said, it's not wanting men, not wanting to take handouts, and, you know, wanted to find something they could do. That was my thing. I always wanted to work for it. And I told myself, I was fighting, you know, it can't be this easy. It really can't. I mean, it must be something I truly could do. And at that moment, faith went out the window. It was, you know, I took from the whole aspect, well, Christ did it for me. And that's where I was very arrogant about it. But I found myself at my lowest point that I came to realize it wasn't what I could do. Um, I looked at someone else's problems, you know, <laughs> I'm not that bad, but really it's, I can't do nothing. Yeah, see, that's the that's the thing, Cody. Is is that's really the um, the downfall of the whole works emphasis. Yeah. Is if we're going to emphasize works, then we're going to have to compare yours with mine, and mine with yours, and yours with his, and his with his, exactly. and so on and so forth. And what's going to happen is going to become, uh, you know, a group of the haves and the have-nots. You know, right. have you done this? Have you done enough? <coughs> and that's where the real question lies: is uh, if you can work to be saved, how much does it take? Right. Uh, if you can work to stay saved, how long does it take? And the answer to those is you cannot answer those and include Christ in the equation. So it's either Christ or it's nothing. And when Christ saves, he creates us. Paul said this in agreement with James. He creates us, he recreates us, and animates us unto good works so that we can glorify our Father which is in heaven. Yeah, I think it goes back to as well. Uh, if you believe that you have to work to stay saved or you have to work to get saved, then you really fall into that situation where you don't believe that if saved, once saved, always saved. You get to the you have to be saved again and again and again and again. and You're constantly in need of salvation when that's not the truth. Uh, the truth is that Jesus said you need to be saved one time and one time only do you need to be saved. 
Uh, and then after that is your fruit or your words that produce afterwards. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that's what it comes down to. It's not what we did because that's, that's a struggle. I mean, to think about, well, I'm not saved anymore because I'm not performing good. Mm-hmm. It's one time, and that one time is all it took, and that's the best part about it because yep. I don't have to keep working. I'm not worried about it. Well, yeah. what can I do? And, you know, it's good. at that same point, now that we are saved, we don't have to think about, well, what am I doing to make myself look saved? It is, I am saved, so my actions are going to reflect that. That was my biggest part. It's, I'm putting on a show. And it wasn't for the people around me. It was for me to make myself feel better. But as soon as I got it, I knew. I instantly knew. My family knew. I didn't have to play fake no more. And the works, it wasn't about the works aspect. But when they showed, it meant so much more. See, yeah, I think it's before you get saved, you're almost in a point where you're like, all right, what do I have to do right. to get saved? Yeah. What do I have to do? And it no longer becomes when you get saved and you realize finally that there's nothing I can do, nothing I ever could have done, but it's what Jesus already did. Then it no longer is what do I have to do, but what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Now that I know that he's paid such a price, right? When uh, Peter and Paul and all them realized he paid such a price, they were willing to lay down their lives because they knew that this is what he did for me. I'll never have to do anything to be saved, but this is what I want to do because I know he loves me. Uh, and I know that I love him. And what James, other thing too here, you know, going back to the passage, James is not eliminating faith from the picture. That's not his motivation at all. Right. He's not saying that faith is obsolete because actually in this passage he actually says here, you show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So he's not saying that faith is not a reality. He's just simply saying that uh, if a person thinks that all they have to do is place an invisible faith in an invisible Christ and, and there, there is no change of life expected or no, none of those things, they've missed the point altogether. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he says faith without works is dead being lost. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have that, <coughs> that mentality. They haven't, even if they're not involved in some kind of uh, religious aspect that believes in works or to get to heaven, they, they've kind of made their own. Well, I'm a good person and when I get to heaven, I'll settle with the big guy upstairs. Exactly. And uh, there's a guy, another guy on YouTube, he does a really cool like uh, street preaching type thing <coughs> and he goes up and he goes uh, the people say well I don't need that I'm a good person and I'll settle it later and he goes um, he goes oh you're a good person he says well have you ever told a lie before and the, then the person he's witnessing to is like yeah and he says well have you ever um, took the Lord's name in vain and they go I, they go yeah I think I have and then the other person then he'll ask one more question he goes the Bible says if you've ever looked at a woman in your heart that's it's adultery or ever lusted after a woman in your heart and the guy goes yeah I've done that of course I have and he goes well he says don't mean to burst your bubble buddy but you just told me you're a liar a blasphemous and an adulterer at heart and he says you think you're going to go up to heaven and be able to be a good guy and get in you know and a lot of people have that good I'm a good guy mentality that reinforces what James talked about in the law he speaks of the law as though it's one unit Right, because he says if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you're guilty of all. And I think I'm familiar with the with the uh, the group that you're talking about online. Uh, Way of the Master, I think, is, is, yeah. is the methodology the there. But uh, they uh, they are very effective in telling people that if you if you've done one wrong thing, you know, I mean, how many sins did Adam and Eve commit before God kicked them out? Just, just one. one. That's all one. it took. That's it. Just one. And so God has a zero tolerance policy for sin. And so if you're going to make it to heaven. On works, you have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, right. A lot of ground to cover, and that's what Paul was teaching. And so then here comes James as a supplement to that, because there were people who were 
uh, you know, overemphasizing faith to the exclusion of works, mm. and you have people that are overemphasizing works to the exclusion of faith, and both of those are false teaching. They, they won't be supported in Scripture. Right. So. Yeah, I think we can uh, go on to our next question here. Is, is what is dead faith? And I think Nathan's got something on Hebrews over here. Well, I it was just something I came across uh, this week in Bible reading, and the passage passage says in Hebrews ten twenty six. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour, devour the adversaries. And when I read that, I, I was kind of like, I sin willfully all the time. And what I, what I think Paul or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to convey here is that, you know, when someone has dead faith, there, there is no appetite for the things of God. And as Pastor was preaching this morning, your heart is going to be continually looking after the things of the flesh, uh, minding the things of the flesh. And there will be no repentance for your sins, no true repentance or uh, no true asking for forgiveness for your sins because you are continually doing what you want for your life with what we call fire insurance saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. And that's what I think he means by dead faith because... Dead faith is the faith that is just making sure that you don't get judgment, but you can live how you want. Yeah, well, listen to this. Uh, just in the time I've been here, the short time I've been at this church, if I could go to, if I could count the people on every door that we've knocked at that said that they're a Christian, I, I promise you we'd probably fill every church in Brandon. Yeah. Right. I mean, these churches would be slam-packed, right? I mean, if you went to the greater Tampa Bay area and knocked, you would fill up every major stadium in this uh, city. But here's the reality is how much of them are really saved. These are people that say they're a Christian. Uh, there's a lot of people you'll see that say they're a Christian, but they'll never darken the door of a church. Uh, but they believe that they've seen a TV preacher one time. They prayed a prayer that they were told to pray. And they're good, um, almost as he said, in a very irreverent way. Is that, oh, I'm okay with a big man upstairs, right? Yep. That mentality of they've almost turned God from being a God to be in a buddy. Yeah, he's no longer right. a God, but he's a buddy. He's like, oh yeah, my, my big man upstairs, he'll understand uh, when I get there. But yeah, I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer one time. And it's like, that's good. But yeah, they put God yeah. in a box. <laughs> How, how's your Bible reading? Um, it show me any fruit to prove your salvation. Right? Yeah, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what, exactly what James is saying. Definitely, you guys, if anyone listening, you should definitely go and check out the message Preacher preached this morning. It was really, really good. He mentioned, you know, there's not one thing we can do that's good. Yeah. Right. You know. Righteousness is filthy rags. Filthy rags, exactly. You know, and uh, I think that's where, uh, and like, you know, like Zach was saying, we all want to work, 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 but we've got no good faith to to show it. Yeah. And, And I know that the Bible isn't in chronological order and the order that it's put in is inspired but hey isn't it just amazing that you have the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11 and the next book is talking about faith and works I mean and I'm not going to read through them all but I, I challenge you go through and read every one of the people mentioned in the Hebrews chapter 11 every one of them have something to prove their faith for example uh, Enoch said that he had a testimony that he pleased God Noah built the ark. 
And then in verse 31 it says, By faith Rahab the harlot perished not with them that believed not. Why didn't she perish? When she received had received the spies with peace. It was an act of faith. Uh, and then uh, I love what he says in verse number 32. He kind of just caps it off there. He's like, what more shall I say? Yeah. I mean, any, any person that you look at in the Bible and you say that they're a great man of faith. David had faith. Give me one instance of his faith. David and Goliath. Mm, yeah. Any man that you mention that has faith, you can prove one instance of their faith with, that, uh, with a work. And it's not that their work saved them or their work kept them safe, but they had proof of their salvation. Yeah. James uses Abraham when he sacrificed his son. And Rahab. And Rahab. And Rahab. Same illustration. Yep. Yes. Right. Yep. And I mean, think about Abraham. Picked the knife up and was lunging the knife at his head. It had to be stopped. If Rahab had not hidden those spies, the whole city would have died and went to hell. Yep. Right. Including her, I believe. And so, you know, the uh, the, the the sparing of, uh, of of her household was uh, because she was willing to step out in faith, take a risk, hide those spies in her residence. And uh, boy, there's a lot of discussion that could be had there, you know, about uh, you know the the little lie that she told or whatever but uh, the reality is that she's used here as an evidence she's used in Hebrews 11 and in James 2 as an evidence of the companionship not the not the controversy between but the companionship between faith and works faith without works is dead being alone you can be saved by faith alone but the faith that saves is never alone yeah and I mean if you really want to talk about Rahab the harlot what she is what Jews would consider a Gentile she was but something else that's very interesting about Rahab the harlot She's the uh, mother of Obed, who is the father of Jesse, yep. who is the yep. father of David. David. Right. Yeah. So Rahab the harlot, a Gentile prostitute, is what she was, yep. was in the lineage of Christ. Right. And why was she in there? It was no reason besides her faith. Mm. That's right. Right. Uh, another uh, passage I wrote down, because I think this kind of coincides together, is Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is given the parable of the sower and the seeds and I won't go into detail about it but you have a few different types of ground one being the ground that was hard because it was trampled on every day it's what they walked every day and then the birds came and they ate the seed which it represents the word but then there was stony ground which you know allowed for some growth but then it withered away in the heat and then there was ground with weeds in it where the the plants sprang forth with new life, but then it was choked out by the weeds. But then there was that good ground that received the seed, and then it it embraced it, and it grew a strong, healthy plant that produced fruit. And all the time in, in Scripture, we see salvation compared to a tree or a plant that bears fruit, and fruit after its kind, which would be uh, righteousness, righteous works, that once a person's saved, then they're able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, uh, there's a verse, I think it was in one of Paul's, uh, Paul's books, where he wrote, and he said, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and deeds, right? So that's, that's the faith with works. You are bought with a price, so therefore glorify God with what you're doing, with, with how you act, with what you say, That's good. you know, and you know, you're never going to, to be sinless, but you will sin less. Yeah. 
And I'm, I think that's a very good explanation in Matthew chapter 13 about dead faith. The seeds that, it was almost there. They almost had it, but we don't know the reason why they believed. Maybe it was just the fire insurance, like I said, or maybe they just, they needed some comfort in, in a hard time and they just weren't really looking for anything else. But it, it's, it happens. There's, there's seeds that are sown that are, it looks, it looks good for a little while, but time will tell what, what they're actually looking for. Hey, yeah. well, Paul didn't, and Paul, he, we, we've mentioned this time and time again, Paul obviously did not believe in works, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. But he didn't believe in not having any works, right? What does he say in Romans? Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then he uses the key phrase, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed yeah. by the renewing of your mind. That's not something that's just done magically without you doing anything. That's an effort. That's something you have to put, uh, you have to diligently work towards, uh, is renewing your mind yeah. uh, and presenting your body a sacrifice. And, and to add to that, both of you guys made excellent points here. To add to that, um, you know, if we're talking about work salvation, then that's not repentance, that's reformation. Right, that's right. If you have to work and change your, your behavior to get saved, that's not repentance, that's reformation. And so the gospel never endorses or advocates reformation as a method of salvation. And so I would say on your point, Zach, that's exactly right. You know, Paul defended the doctrine of repentance and anything that's an enemy of repentance is an enemy of the gospel you know and so if you're adding works of salvation you're not talking about repentance anymore you're talking about reformation and then on your note Nathan you know what you were talking I wasn't going to bring it up because I don't want to run out of time with this but the illustration that you gave in Matthew 13 the, the agricultural illustration is so relevant because just like faith without works is dead being alone a tree without fruit is dead you know it's just taking up space and uh, in this passage, you know, one of the things that just jumps off the page every time I read this, um, it, it oftentimes gets skipped over. But in verse 14, what doth, it, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? He's not insinuating or proving he has faith because you can't prove faith with just your mouth. Right, right. So these are false professions, and the reason why is because they are speaking a profession verbally expressing a profession but they have no concrete evidence that they are genuinely saved so what is the evidence I've searched the scripture north and south backward and forward up and down left and right and I'm telling you the only evidence of salvation is a changed life so faith without the changed life that's the works he's talking about the Gadarian maniac here he is one day here he is in this verse in the next verse he's seated he's clothed he's in his right mind right um, you know, we could go all through the scripture. Zacchaeus is uh, is reimbursing everybody who, who he frauded fourfold. Uh, we can look at Nicodemus, who did not get saved, I believe, in John 3, but somewhere in, in the meantime he gets saved. And what are the, the evidences of it? We see him at the cross, taking the body of Jesus down and helping Joseph of Arimathea uh, give a proper burial to the body. And so faith without works, faith without works, faith without works. Um, none of these people illustrate that. They have faith, and then they have a, a work that supports that faith, not working to get saved, but working because they are saved. Um, I think that goes with uh, a little bit of the next question we have, is how can Christians identify false believers or false prophets? No change life. No change yeah, life. Right. Exactly. That's got to be it. Yeah. It has to be it. And that, you know, Co- Cody's testimony is pretty close, similar to mine. When I was 13, I 
heard it, we were a little prayer meeting type deal, but the message there was devotion was on hell, and it kind of scared me a little bit, you know, so you pray this prayer not to go to hell, and, uh, you know, from there you just start, you, I was doing good works, but I knew it wasn't fulfilling what I need, what I needed, right. and then one day eventually, you know, some big thing happened to me in my life, and I'm walking down the street, and I see the sign that says, Jesus saves, and I blow it off, I said, yeah, right, if he saves, why am I here? And then finally, the next day, I got saved, and now it's, I just, I can't stop. I want to continue to keep doing it. I wanted to do this podcast ministry. I want to do more guitar music. I want to be, I love staying here after we do this and just continue to edit. I love being in this building. I love being in this church. And I think, you know, I think a problem, and it's honestly, it's a scary situation that a lot of churches have gotten themselves into, is they've gotten themselves into almost like a corporate scare them, scare the fire out of them, yep. and get them to pray a prayer with you. Uh, actually, I was, I was speaking with a lady this week, and that was her testimony. When she was six years old, she said, I don't know what he preached, but it scared me, and they asked if I was saved, I, or if I wasn't saved, she raised her hand. They said, well, you need to get that right tonight. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, I mean, forced, uh, and it sounds bad, but it forced a salvation on them, uh, or forced a prayer on them. And then what happened the next 20 plus years of her life was she didn't live the Christian life. She actually got into new age. Um, and it was because that, I mean, she was just scared, scared into salvation, but it wasn't real authentic salvation. It was just fear. And that's one of those things. I mean, we look at it, it's, you can pray this prayer like you're scared, but it doesn't mean you're, you're saved. I mean, you can perform works. You can talk about Jesus and you're not saved. People do it all the time. I was one of those people, like I said, I did it. I talked to people, I witnessed people, but hey, I wasn't saved. That's right. And and it kind of got to me because, you know, you see people saved and it's like, I want that. I want those because they're always talking about these blessings. I told my mom that before I was saved, I want these blessings and I'm jealous. How do I get it? And she said, well, that's something you have to examine yourself on in your relationship with Christ. But the thing was, I didn't have that relationship with him. I wasn't saved. I didn't have any of those things. And that was one of those moments I found it. Well, there we go. I need that. I need to get saved because I want that relationship. Good. Yeah. That's great. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. It's not it's not a prayer you repeat. It's not the fear of hell. It's not um, doing good works. I, it's ultimately comes down to what Jesus did that day on the cross. That's right. And right. Uh, from there you'll you know, if you truly accept that, your your faith is gonna produce the good works, which is um, and then from there you should be able to identify between difference of false prophets versus um, or false believers. You know, you can tell who's Who's really got it? Yeah, yeah. Right. and that's yeah. the way it should be. When I witness to somebody, they should see something that I have and they want. You know, I've got a friend who I've been trying to talk to a while, and he's slowly became a peaking entrance. He sees the things that, you know, I. Uh, not saying I'm super Christian, but um, you know, I I want to do more of this. I want to try and go out, and leave tracks everywhere, and he sees he sees a better person. He sees a happier life, and uh, he and he wants that, but he just won't won't accept it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always I, I absolutely love music and a lot of times I, I relate to messages through music and I, yeah. I heard this song y'all may have heard it it's the one that's called Somebody Died For Me right. it talks about this yep. kid that was a rebel went out to Trying war to the yep, he went out to war and then he came back changed and they were like man the army must have really whooped you into shape and he's like that's not what happened what happened was somebody died for me and then the, the chorus of that song says I can't live the way I live or be the way I was, everything is new to me because somebody died for me. And yeah. here's the reality is that when you get saved and you're a Christian and you realize 
he died for me. Uh, you go right back to that song. That's what they say in the second verse of that song is that when you realize that Jesus gave his life for you, that he laid it all down uh, and came and died for you, you can't live the way you were. You can't act the way you were, behave the way you were, because the reality is you can realize how precious it is. It'd be like if Nathan went out and saved me uh, out of the street. I can't live the way I live if Nathan laid down his life for me. That's the difference. One of the subjects that I <clears throat> that I kind of specialize in down through the years being a pastor and a counselor is uh, I really have kept an open door to people who doubt their salvation. And I can tell you that uh, I, I, the, the vast majority of the people, and I'm talking about maybe in the high 90s uh, percent-wise, um, 95, 98% of the people that I deal with, uh, when they're doubting their salvation, as church-going, Bible-believing, Baptist people, they come in my office and they want to talk about their works, their works, their works, their works. And when I ask them about their faith, they say, I don't have any issues with my faith. And so I have to really kind of pin them down to the mat and say, okay, then we need to talk about your works. Tell me what you did. And then they've never been asked that question. Mm. They've never been asked that question. What did you do to get saved? And... Uh, and of course, they don't use that terminology, but when I put it in that perspective and tell them, look, you're working, you are trying to work to get saved or stay saved or have assurance, and it just does not fit into the equation. And they that's a lot of times an eye-opener, like an epiphany moment where they, oh, wow. And so I have to ask them the question, hmm. uh, if this work was not good enough that you did and this work was not good enough, you know, you're doubting your works, but you've never doubted the work of Christ and, and they say, well, why, why would I have reason to doubt the work of Christ? And ultimately, that's the evidence that they're genuinely saved, is they have faith in the work of Christ. And it is creating within them um, the product of good works, uh, but they're just not content with what, you know, the pace at which Christ is, is working through them and in them. We are his workmanship. And so if he paints it, the word workmanship there means a, uh, um, uh, like a, a, a piece of art. So if he chooses to paint a little while and set the art aside and then come back and paint a little while later and set the art aside and it's not finished, not finished, not finished, we may be unfinished for decades before he finishes the product. Uh, but it, we're his workmanship. He gets to choose uh, what, uh, what, what beauty is going to be revealed in that masterpiece. Um, yeah. And... Uh, one thing, and I think if you guys are good, we'll, we'll close it, is um, you did a, a, a message on a Wednesday night series. I think it was Second Peter chapter 2, which talks about false, um, false believers or false, false prophets. And you can find all that on the website if you go under uh, brandonbaptistabernacle.com under sermons and then look for Second Peter, and it should be under there. But um, interesting topic today, guys. I like this one. This one was fun. Yeah, yeah it was good fun. We better enjoy this one because chapter three is coming. Yeah, chapter three. We'll be talking coming. about the tongue, and it's not chapter uh, three is a doozy. Not such a uh, pleasant topic, is it? Well, yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll close it on prayer, and then that'll be it. Anybody want to close this out? Yeah, I'll pray. Let's pray. Generally, Father, I thank you for this day. I uh, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come out and do a podcast, Lord. Uh, not necessarily as for our uh, own betterment or anything, Lord. Just ultimately because we love your word, and we know that there's people out there that. Uh, just cherish your word and Lord I pray that as we go through this we know that anytime your word is open that there's an opportunity 
uh, for us to change. And I pray that you would just work in our lives uh, like no one else can. And Lord, I pray that uh, just our faith would not be dead, but rather that we would have uh, works or fruits uh, to show our salvation. Be with us now as we dismiss. Uh, I pray all this in your heavenly name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you for listening. Um, again, if you're listening through the website, check out the YouTube channel. This will be posted there as well. And you'll also see other good singing. Um, if you're li- watching on YouTube, you can download this on through the website as well. And also other good sermons. Um, again, thank you guys. <laughs>